Talks, episode 56, a sequel chat movie review of Blade Runner 2049. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. In a world of robots and androids, once destroyed, yet have come back. And this week we are talking replicants. Dun, dun. And is Deckard one? Oh, the question ah. we do not have enough time to answer, I man. Be uh, I, I gotta be honest, I, I never really care about that question. There's Just... enough evidence to point to yes, and they totally tease in this one. So me, anyway... It, it was Reddit before Reddit was Reddit. Right. <laughs> so this week, we are talking Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Like, yeah. because it's the sequel. And off the top today, we have myself, Jeremy. Of course, Adam, as always. Hello there. And our sequel chat champion, Colton. Hi, how y'all doing? All right. Champions respond if ever there was one. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's a humble champion. You flatter me, sir. <laughs> All right, guys. So... I finally watched the first one recently. Same here. Final cut. Went back to 1982, the year I was born. I watched the final cut. Yeah. Yeah. Good old Walmart special. Yeah. But anyway, so, I mean, you kind of have to address that question. Is Deckard a replicant? There's enough evidence out there. There's YouTube videos galore. There's a great one by, who was that? It was like 11 minutes long. Fan theories or insane fan theories. Two kids sitting on a couch. Lay it all out for you. And half the stuff I missed watching through the first time. Because I went into this having, like, I guess the, the cultural aspect laid out that this movie inspired all the other science fiction movies since 1982 and also there's this supposed question is he isn't he and so I'm going into the movie thinking, ooh, it's going to be pretty obvious, the question, right? And the first time through, I only noticed her asking him if he'd taken Voight Contest. Right. It was the only mm-hmm. thing I picked up on, except for the awkwardly weird unicorn scene. <laughs> Just <laughs> that slammed in there. That has been in since the director's cut. That was not in the original theatrical cut. Correct. So. Yeah, we should yeah. mention up top, for yeah. those who, who are just getting into the Blade Runner world, there's I mean, see, there have been multiple cuts throughout the years. There have been seven. I, I heard yeah. there was eight. Oh. There was this little assembly cut that was shown at a couple of festivals in the early mm. 80s. It's this mythic assembly cut that mm. nobody has really seen except for those few who happen to be at those film festivals. Yeah, but it's a, it's a film that's come back again mm-hmm. and again to theaters. It's had so many re-releases after a new cut has come out, so on mm-hmm. and so forth, home video, all the different formats. And, uh, it, you know, the, obviously the main difference from the theatrical cut and then every other cut is that the studio mandated a narration by Harrison Ford that was added in the original theatrical cut to clarify some points about the world of Blade yeah. Runner that and character motivations that were unclear. 
and uh, it's a pretty deadpan, uh, you know, insertion. Everything he says, you're just kind of like, all right, well, I guess that explains this, but you don't seem to care much about it. <laughs> I, I remember somebody took all those voiceovers and put them together in a nice little five-minute uninterrupted YouTube video. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. I was just like, this is almost like bad fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> If, if, I, if I didn't recognize Harrison Ford's voice, right. I would have just took it as bad fan fiction. Well, By the way, I heard an interview about 10 years ago. Ridley Scott confirmed he is a replicant. Did you hear about On that? multiple <laughs> occasions, okay, he yeah. has. Okay. And because wow. he is the guy that is the creator and the director, he says Deckard is a replicant. In the book, Deckard is not. Harrison Ford also says, me and Scott, we had these arguments. I went into it that he's not, which is kind of... I can see that influenced in giving a little bit of the confusion where the actor is portraying it as I'm not, mm-hmm. and yet the director is saying yes. Well, and the thing for me, like you're talking about the little hints or the nods or whatever, the main thing for me is that in the first film, at least in the final cut that I watched most recently, right. I caught up with a director's cut several years back, but in the final cut, you know, every replicant their eyes glow orange or yellow at a certain point. Right. They Anything have this artificial. Right. right. But Decker does not have that. Yes, at least he does. not that I one thought. One brief okay. shot. Where does it that showed occur? up in Honest Trailers. Yes. Okay. okay. So there is the one scene. It's right around their love scene or whatever. They were standing in the dark and she's in the foreground and he comes up in the background of the scene and he looks up at her or looks up towards the camera. Her eyes are glowing. You can faintly see his eyes glow and then he hmm. looks away. Okay. And so there's there's rumors that that's supposed to portray that he sort of knows, whereas she <laughs> knows that she is now. Right. And this, and this it all should be mentioned. We're saying she. We should mention that Sean Young, Rachel, Rachel the replicant, right? This is like probably her most famous role outside of Ace Ventura. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there with the gender. Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is Finkel. Behind the scenes tales of craziness, right? Right. But, uh, but I mean, she, she is pretty amazing in that film. Just, and she, yeah. I would say, is just about the only character with emotion that you care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, that is, I don't know, like basically all the replicants of the movie I care about. Deckard, uh, as played by Harrison Ford, I know nothing about. Thank you. He's kind of luster hero. You're just like, uh, all right. Okay, Which means... so that's, but that's also one of the things is this could be his first mission. And so the point, the kind of the whole theory behind him being a replicant is who the heck is Gaff? Why is he always lingering around? These little origami animals are triggering emotions within Deckard each time he does them. So the leading prevailing theory is that Gaff, they used his memories because he was a cop, he was a Blade Runner, until he became too old and frail to do it, and they keep inserting his memories and his training into these replicants. And thus, Deckard is actually the replicant of Gaff. Does that, does that mean that Gaff was know, in the that, movie that, that... Legend and he has seen a unicorn? Because what is that? <laughs> Honest trailers had fun with that, too. Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. And maybe that could even be something that was just input. Like, that that was kind of a trigger for him to know that he, as that replicant, that model was special. Mm. I mean, that's kind of what a mythical being yeah, of a unicorn true. would be, is that you're the unicorn. You're 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 outside of normal, even amongst all these replicants. Very good point. No, I, I can see that. Now, something I did not consider. Now, but going back to the other replicant actors we do care about in the movie then, I mean, Rutger Hauer, you know, as, as Roy, you understand his motivation 
question, right? Yes. He knows he's about to die. He wants to know why he has to die. He wants to extend this life-giving or you know, extend his life and wants to find the answers from his creator, from his God. You know, so that's very interesting. Obviously, you know, you get uh, Daryl Hannah is very cute as Pris. You know, she's a, a fun character. Her first mm-hmm. major feature film role. I was told um, the same is true for Rutger Hauer. I'd never seen him look that huh. young before. I'd always seen him look old. <laughs> yeah. No offense to him, but it just wow. ever ever since well, I he was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Hair. I think it's that white hair. Maybe it just makes him seem older. Maybe, but it just I've never seen him look so young. He actually not just in his acting, but in his appearance, he was kind of reminding me of Marlon Brando in some Definitely. of his earlier roles. Hmm. Uh, um, his his method reminded me of Apocalypse. Now his look reminded me of Superman the movie. All right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, his Jor-El look, but yeah. his younger days, Krypton. yeah. Krypton, don't correct my pronunciation, it's Krypton. <laughs> but, uh, uh, now, the other mm-hmm. part of this, though, is because the acting is just okay, and mm-hmm. I, it, it's all right, I, I feel like what really, as Jeremy alluded to earlier, makes the original film special is the production design. Wait, 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 that hold overshadows. on. Which, which oh. acting are you saying was kind of only okay? I mean, honestly, like I feel like most of the cast is is pretty stoic, and it doesn't. Again, like you you care about there. There's emotion that comes out of the replicants here and there. Oh, okay, right? but think about it this way: if everyone that we met in that first movie were replicants, including Deckard himself, wouldn't that make sense that the acting was kind of stiff and stoic? and emotionless, almost robotic-like? I would say that that it would fit, yes, for the theme, but which, does it make it watchable and enjoyable? Eh, I, I don't know Relatable. I'd have, I'd have to watch it again. Like, I've seen yeah. it once, and having understood it more, I totally understand why certain choices were made, mm-hmm. and it makes me understand Ford's character. And also, granted, he's not the greatest actor in the world. He can be charismatic at times, but in specific roles... That's not roles, how acting works. <laughs> but in certain oh. roles, he plays the part. And this part fit. Much like the actor in the movie we're really going to talk about Yes, in Blade Runner 2049, Ryan Gosling's also kind of a stiff actor. Like I think I think I, the difference Hager fit for him. <laughs> like really the role fit him because of his style one could say well and i and i know that the director said like they pursued ryan gosling the role was written specifically for him and partially in some ways by him he said it was a collaborative effort they really work together on the character i, I believe it this is not a dialogue driven film so there's a lot yeah. of right for... but at the same time yeah. this is what i say is with the original film it's more of a this is the story that's happening it's not the personal journey of any one character, which is where I feel like this sequel, Blade Runner 2049, truly excels past the original, in that it gives you a single perspective and a story, an emotional story to follow, whether uh, or not the character is stoic. I mean, it's amazing what they've done with this. Yeah, I, uh, I see that, and I am in, a, in agreement there. Yeah, but real quick, just going back to it, because it's, it's important, the aesthetic that they created in 1982 for Blade Runner with all the miniature work, with just all the 
uh, gentleman named Sid Mead. People have probably heard of him before. He's a futurist who designed a lot of stuff for like the original Tron and, and just a, a, a lot of big films you've heard of. He's kind of the guy who gives that. What is the look of the future? How did you create that? And so that grimy lived in future, they called it a retro deco. Basically saying everything had to be retrofitted in the future. You couldn't afford to buy or produce new things very often. So you just build on top of it to create the new working version of your building or of your car or whatever. The used um, and, future. Yes. That's what and, George and, Lucas called it. Yeah. I yeah. feel like Star Wars kind of pioneered that concept. I think that's what made the original Star Wars so interesting was that it was like, oh, this is a universe that's really lived in, you know, and you look at like all droids, you know, Wait, and whatever. You mean it, it's gritty and down to earth? Hmm. <laughs> and yet what happened was, like you said, this film, the, the art design alone really influenced so many films beyond. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of like Terry Gilliam's Brazil, Highlander 2, Total Recall, definitely The Fifth Element. And oh, Fifth yeah. Element's like oh, they yeah. turned on the lights in the Blade Runner universe. They're like, let's just flip a light switch on. <laughs> oh, there it is. You know, The but main like, judge... hero spends a lot of time eating noodles, just like, right, right, yeah. Right. Yeah, and then like Judge Dredd with Stallone. Even the Super Mario Brothers movie, like yeah, that a is a Blade Runner world. <laughs> yeah. And even Akira, you know, go to like an Oh, anime. yeah, a dozen animes took a cue or two from Blade Runner, absolutely. Well, I've even heard like TV shows and like Battlestar Galactica and things of that nature also kind of pulled from it. Um, apparently, like the the pyramid designs were almost taken beat for beat, oh. um, and, and and it's it's pretty much just influenced everything. Yeah, in a huge way. Like I say, like it's just, it's just been felt in many different places. But I think speaking of anime, we should mention quickly uh, some of the shorts that were released prior to the film uh, as part of a promotion effort to get you into the world. You guys watch those? Yes. Do you guys remember specifics on them? All well, right. I, uh, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So the first one is actually like a 15 minute long anime mm-hmm. and it's called twenty Blade Runner 2022 The Blackout, mm-hmm. which is referenced quite a bit in this sequel that we see and it involves some of the replicants that have gone off world that were used to fight wars against other replicants so essentially governments began raising armies of replicants to go fight on these other worlds so they were just killing themselves and so some rebelled came back to earth and began to they came up with a plan to take out all the records yeah for the tyrell corporation set off an emp right. destroy all of their servers and they're they're done you can't do what they're doing anymore right they wanted yeah. to take replicants off the board across the board mm-hmm. so that happened and that influences what goes on later on down the road the next little short was directed by one of his the 2049 directors director buddies he said hey i need you to direct this shot so this scene comes together and we first are introduced to Wallace and he's late for this government meeting it seems some some high powered people including the guy right. from uh, Doctor Strange <laughs> right Benedict Chang or whatever his name is Wong right Wong, Wong. yes yeah. So essentially, after the blackout, the government ixnayed and uh, banned all replicants. And at this point, Wallace is coming back saying, I have a design. I want you to improve me creating it. And they're like, well, no, because they develop 
free thought and they begin to act out of their design and Wallace eventually at the end of this short reveals that his bodyguard is one of these replicants that he himself has made based off of the ancient Tyrell Corporation's designs because he bought what was left of Tyrell and, and this this replicant is totally obedient totally even 100%. In, and up to killing itself in, in the name of Wallace or you know I want you to kill me or kill yourself and, the, and it chooses to kill itself right based off its programming right so in the last one it is 2048 and this is where we meet one of the characters early on in the movie Dave Bautista and he's off in the marketplace delivering some goods to some girl delivers a book and it's at this point where the street thugs begin grabbing at girl and her mother and he steps in and reveals himself to be a replicant, one of these older model replicants, and just the snot out of these street thugs. And but in the process, drops himself. the paperwork. Right. And so then somebody else finds it, then calls him in. And that's how we realize, okay, that's how the beginning of the movie occurred. Exactly. How, how, did, how did they find him? That's how they find him. So... Yeah, so I, I thought that was the most effective of the three. I felt like that that last one really, because you know, it takes place a, just a year before the movie starts, so you're really like, okay, this is a character who you find out has a lot to do with uh, the overall mystery and plot. But speaking of which, Jeremy, why don't you fill us in, and then we'll get into what we thought about it. All right, Blade Runner 2049, a synthetic human known as a replicant named... Officer K, the Los Angeles Police Department, is tasked with rounding up rogue replicants in the year 2049. This is the job of a Blade Runner. Discovering that a replicant woman gave birth, a feat thought near impossible. No, a feat thought impossible. Officer <laughs> K seeks to find the child while considering the truth of his own identity. Also in pursuit of the child is the Wallace Corporation, who believe it will provide them with the secrets to mass-produce replicants biologically. The search beat leads Kay to Rick Deckard, a former Blade Runner who fathered the child with the replicant woman Rachel, then walked away. Deckard is captured by the Wallace Corporation and the identity of the child is revealed as Kay's world falls down around him. Rescued by a faction of rebel replicants, Kay is tasked with killing Deckard so that he cannot lead Wallace to the child. In the end, Deckard is spared as Kay kills the pursuing replicant sent by Wallace and takes Deckard to meet his daughter as he lies down mortally wounded and credits roll. That's a very wow. Adam ending <laughs> yes, a wonderful plot role. synopsis, if I do say so myself. <laughs> uh, so, but it leaves out so much of the emotion of what makes this movie special. Right. Uh, so first off the top, let's kind of break this down a little different here. Sound-wise, that includes soundtrack, everything. Mm -hmm. What stood out? Inception. Hans Zimmer. Inception. Yeah. Bong. Yes. Bong. Bong. <laughs> yeah. And not even not even Inception. Inception was minor. It was uh, interstellar. Inception was started it. <laughs> right. All the studios are copying that. Not just Hans Zimmer. Everybody wants to copy yeah. that now. But Wong. Okay, yeah, he hit his, his Wong special crescendo <laughs> in Interstellar. He's like, that's it. I'm out. I've done it. I've done it all. And he's like, just take I'm, this. <laughs> I'm done with superhero movies. I'm, I'm I'm backing off. And then no, no, he didn't. He just did Blade Runner. Oh, they drove goodness. a dump truck full of money up to my house. Are you kidding? 
I, IMAX theater vibrated <laughs> so violently. The chairs that I not that's not just the one I'm sitting in, all the chairs around me, I could see them physically shaking from all the bong going. Yeah. It was too much. Can someone please tell him to tone it down? I mean, I'll be honest, it didn't take me out as much oh. like I I, I I was like this must be Hod Zimmer I didn't even know he was involved but then I, and then I was like this must be Hod Zimmer because there it is but to me like I felt like it did bring you into okay this is a harsh world this is a harsh reality that this character has to live in and deal in and I thought it was so interesting um, how they showed you basically middle America or something I, I guess in this case it's still California but what he does is fly over everything is just like I couldn't make out I'm like what are they showing us is this like brick is this tile and I'm like no it's like fields like yeah. fields of the future that are just perfectly aligned and everything and then like we said he has that meeting with Dave Bautista's character, who is a protein farmer, but really a replicant with a history who's hiding out. And uh, that's where I thought it was so interesting right off the bat that you find out, oh, Kay, played by Ryan Gosling, is a replicant. Because they have this fight. At first, you're not sure. But as soon as he starts getting beaten up by Dave Bautista and takes, like, punches and can take him out, you're like, okay, he's a replicant. Got right. it. You know, there's no way human Ryan Gosling could stand up to that. I found that inversion to be interesting, that our status quo in the original film is Harrison Ford. We just assume he's human. Then there's all these clues that'll make you doubt. Think about it. Yeah, he could take a lot of punches, too. Yeah. Including from a guy that could... But li- with this film, they make it very clear from the get-go, <laughs> Ryan Gosling's K is a replicant. Then they start messing with you with clues not. They really they make, do, yeah. yeah it's, I, I love that in version that they did or from... which replicant is he yeah oh, there's so much back that's... and forth in this film yeah it, it's very obvious he is but it's to which point they still mess with you oh at, yeah at, at some definitely. points whether or not he's human or replicant now the thing that i thought was uh was great about again just getting back to what they did with this character is immediately after he returns after his mission and he retires slash kills uh batista's character i love euphemisms Yes. <laughs> and but it's so cool that they find this. He does a scan of the area and finds this, uh, I guess, chest that's buried underneath a tree and it's got bones in it. And then that's when they get the, the reveal that, oh, this is the these are the bones of a replicant. Oh, this replicant she gave, gave birth. birth. Right. Like, Whoa. Like, that was pretty cool. I was like, that's a pretty amazing. Uh, again, just a totally different spin. I was not expecting. Although when I looked at it, then I, I, I immediately was saying, you know what? Thematically speaking now, this movie is Jurassic Park meets Tron Legacy with the little ex machina thrown in. That's that's what this movie is. You know, and so I was like, but that's OK. There's nothing wrong with that dealing with similar themes. You Strangely know? enough, can I tell you something else that reminded me of? I don't even know if you've heard of this film. It was a little over 25 years ago. It was a dramedy starring Winona Ryder and Jeff Daniels. It was called Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael. Hmm, no. It had a plot point that was really similar where hmm. Ryan Gosling, he's like, I'm so sure this baby was me, the super important baby that everyone's interested in. I just know it was me. That was the entire plot of that movie. Winona Ryder was so certain that she was this abandoned baby of a famous actress who used to live in her hometown and disappeared. She's right. like, if I can just prove it, I can make something of myself. Hmm. And then there's that sad reveal at the end, not her. And in this case, Ryan Gosling, it wasn't him. Sorry, right, so it, if, it reminded me of that. If you haven't noticed already, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, I loved how they handled that. Because, again, they 
I, I was mad after the first 30 minutes when he's getting on the trail of it. And it, it almost looks 100% certain that it is him. He is the child. Yeah. And I'm like, so now we got to sit for another 45 minutes while he figures it out. And I was like upset. And then they flipped it around and revealed, oh, no, you thought it was you? Oh, we all think it's us. That's why we have hope. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. That was a cruel but, I, but I loved line. it. Yeah. yeah. It was a great that was, idea. Yeah, that was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, the thing that you, the, what made it all the more, right, is what they do to establish our our sympathy and our empathy towards uh, Ryan Gosling. Because you realize, okay, first of all, everybody hates skin jobs, right? So he's a constantly being harassed by people in his apartment building, by people at the police station. Everybody hates him. Yeah, they had other all sorts of names for those replicants. I, I, I do. Well, that's one of the things I appreciated about those old uh, abandoned voiceovers was they made it very clear skin job is the equivalent of an ethnic slur. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then also that he is seeking to have love, to belong. He has this AI program, right? This holographic joy. joy. And she was so lovely and so <laughs> wonderful. Such a great presence to have in the film. Not just in appearance, but in personality. It was it's like you yeah. really believe oh, she yeah. cares about him, you know? Well, and then you get points throughout where it's like, Joy, exactly what you want to hear, exactly I what know. you want to see. That, that was one of the things that brought and me down it, just a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it breaks you. You're like, no. It could, her po- whole point was to tell him exactly what he wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And yeah, seeing those special. advertisements, because oh, yeah. she seemed so special, and to see that specialness punctuated by those advertisements letting you know. Oh, yeah, tons the of other people, holographic billboards. Tons of other people have joys just like her. Yeah. Yeah. It just brings you down. And just visually, it was especially striking because when that hologram talks to him, she has black eyes, totally dead eyes, right? She's just nothing. She's hmm. just the words you want to hear. And I, that really struck me. But at the same time, because they, they create this situation where they has, he has this stick, basically, that allows her to be mobile. Because usually she's just stuck to a projector inside his apartment. Right. Now she, he can take her with him. And there's this point at which she's like, they have to get away. And she says, well, if you, if you download me, you know, you can come, I can come with you. And he's like, yeah, but then if you're dead, you're dead. Then I don't have you anymore she's like yes like a real girl you know and so and so you know she's going to die but it doesn't make it any less impactful when her last words are i love you just as she's about to get killed right like again you really believe it whether or not she was programmed to do it it still hits you and you're like wow just a great performance by that actress i don't know her from anything else but i think she did a wonderful job the fact that she voluntarily i mean there's no really i'm not sure if there is a way of knowing if she was just trying to meet his needs or making her own choice to voluntarily isolate herself into that little memory stick right mm-hmm. she was warned you know anything happens to the stick you're gone forever and she's like just like a real girl and it's just, but it, it adds it's to hard. that whole thing yeah, right it's hard because that they're both pursuing it now, they both now the whole stakes. concept yeah mm-hmm. but can the artificial life have value even if it's programmed does it mean less than a biological being just because it was created by different means you know like just that that whole theme is very interesting to me like they and obviously they're playing with that since the first film but again it it just it's hit so much more clearly and more again i think more interesting in a more interesting way in this film all right so visually how was this because to me it was just i kind of wished i'd seen it in imax but it was still pretty stunning on the regular screen FYI, the matinees for IMAX are really cheap. <laughs> so, uh, hit me up Hot sometime. Hot tip. Keep it in mind. 
Yeah, I, I was really impressed because uh, I liked that the director, I would love to say his name, but I can't. Uh, but he's a guy who directed Arrival. Uh, but he he's a little a French. Job. Yeah. Sicario. <laughs> He didn't just replicate motifs from the original. He could have very easily just like lifted a bunch of stuff and made it look exactly like the first film, like, or just have moments like, oh, let's have a replicate get killed and crash through glass. Or they didn't even have the comp test in this film. They did. Not. Yeah, uh, they well, didn't call it by name, but those were the questions they were asking. It was kind program. of a modified the the baseline test it's mm-hmm. essentially a modified version of the void comp yeah to test if he's still compliant essentially right. yeah but I, I just thought that they did a, a wonderful job of saying okay this is like a natural evolution from where that original one was and even though it wasn't miniatures like the the original one was it didn't feel artificial except in the way that they wanted you to see the artificiality of this society with all the holograms dancing right. around and whatever else so i was really i really enjoyed it visually just uh, as much as the first even more so this it was it was kind of eye-popping like i enjoyed the visuals had hans zimmer toned things down (laughs) i would have enjoyed them a lot more it's just in this age when you can do anything on computers it's really hard to have any experience where you ask yourself how'd they do that they did that with this film where i'm just like how did they do that because computers can only do so much it requires really strong artistic merit to do what they did there. It's not enough to just, oh, have computers and problem yeah. solve. Oh, yeah. I just, I look at it, I'm just like, how did they do that? How did they make that desert scape where all the background vanishes in orange dust? You know what I mean? It's just, oh, just absolutely yeah, well, breathtaking. And it, 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 this film, it should also be said, really doesn't have the noir feel of the original also. Like, it's not as dark no. as the first one was. So you're, Much you're more in, neon this time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have just situations where it's just more clear <laughs> as to everything that's happening. It doesn't feel quite as dirty, but it feels just as... <laughs> well, uh, in a manner lifted. of speaking. Yeah, yeah. Not, as, not as gritty. <laughs> what it, what I mean is uh, 30 years later, uh, they became much more comfortable with nudity in their advertisements. Well, let, let, me, let me talk about that, though, because this is the thing that struck me with that, is that in this film, there is nudity, but to me, the nudity was not sexual. Mm-hmm. And the moments of yep. sensuality did not feature nudity. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed yeah. that. Yeah, I just, I just thought it was so fascinating how how they kind of flipped that around. You know, so it's you know, yes, you have nude bodies in this film, and some of them are holograms. It but was it, it was like Renaissance nudity. You know, yeah, yeah exactly. in a way. It was also interesting to see how many children I saw in that theater. Yes, mine too. And, and it, there no was only joke, like ten I... or twelve people in my theater, but they brought kids, and I'm yeah. like, what? I I didn't see anybody and under so, the age of maybe 16. Uh, wow. No. Who thought this would be for kids? Did they even know. see the original? I mean, wow. Yeah, I mean, and, especially... And some people just don't care. It was funny to watch some of these adults scramble to cover eyes at certain points because <laughs> I can see it and I'm like, it's coming. I know what's going to happen. So it's I, I'm kind of watching to see what these parents 10, do. 20 years ago, you could probably excuse them, but we live in the age of the internet. <laughs> You've got to yeah. have enough sense to say, huh, let me see if I can take my kids to this. Because well, I'm imagining they're like, oh, Ryan Gosling, La La Land. I love <laughs> yeah. that movie. Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones. Yeah, we'll go see this movie. Yeah, but yeah these aren't cool. old parents. These are young parents. Uh, yeah. Well, and we should so, mention too, this isn't an action film either. 
either. And I don't think it was necessarily marketed that way. Like, this is not a film where it's like a, a blockbuster summer feature at all. I mean, this was is a very the first one either? But also, importantly, no. even if you take out all the flashy R-rated stuff, it is still such a drawl film that it's not going to appeal to kids at all. No. And and that's where I also kind of questioned both. Was was the nudity even necessary? You could clip it out and not really miss anything. Yeah, it wasn't I mean, I, like I don't it, think it, it was... wasn't like critical dialogue was given while you were staring at this. Sometimes... <sighs> Based on some of the stuff I learned about pre-production, they made it very clear, even when Ryan Gosling hadn't even signed on yet, they made it very clear, we're going to go for the R rating again, just like the original. So I'll bet right. you they went ahead and just peppered that in just to make sure they kept the consistency. And that well, has Plus you, have, you have a European director. That. Europeans, it's, right. not, you know, it's not as big a deal as, as it is for Americans. So Which which could be why it wasn't sexualized. Mm-hmm. Right. It was just a fact mm-hmm. of what was occurring. You have a replicant that was just born. Born. Just born. Yes, going to yeah. be naked. Let's talk about that scene and talk about Jared Leto as this Wallace character. Yeah, let, let's definitely dive into this villain. The blind madman, because yeah. he rambles on and on and on in this film, but I caught about 50% of yeah. what he was saying. That's the, that's part of what got me so lost, is that it's so critical. Uh, spoiler, they want to, for the benefit of the corporation, hunt down uh, reproducing replicants. I kind of missed that because of his rambling dialogue. Well, so yeah, so he was digging in through the files and he noticed there were some anomalies towards the end of production with Tyrell. Like he knew there were some that had been made special that others were not made in that same fashion. And so he's been seeking these. And so when Agent K goes down and looks into these specifically old serial numbers, it kind of tips Wallace off that, ooh, we might have something. And so as the police are digging into this, they're finding out, wait, a replicant had a child? Wallace is also getting this same information, and he's thinking, how can I acquire this in order to dissect it, take it apart, figure out how it worked so that I can do that? Because I can only manufacture so many replicants in a year. Now, if we have these replicants that I can make and they're able to reproduce, we can, rather than create thousands, we can create millions. And so... And his justification is that every great society in history is built on the backs of slaves, he said. So he's basically Uh... saying it's a necessary evil. But he's so whacked out and crazy. You're like, do we really believe his logic? His performance (laughs) just made me be in awe. I'm just like, wow, that guy was the Joker last year. Wow. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just, so, it is crazy, but it's still so different. It did last year. Well, that, right. Yeah, Dallas I mean, Buyers really Club is. and all that other stuff. He's just, wow. He deserves, Total he deserves his Oscar. He is a good actor as long as the role Granted, but can you guys tell me at the end of that scene, <laughs> what was what was the point of killing the replicant? Like, was it because all I could take from it was, is that the symbolism that he's done manufacturing and engineering and he will only pursue the actual biological creation of replicants now? Like, that was the only thing I could get from that. I was like, mm. what was the point of killing her? I'm trying to make, a, I want a little bit of clarification. Which replicant? Because a few. The one that uh, was... Well, the, 
the birthed one. Yeah, the birthed one. He stabs her in the stomach, and she just dies like while he's monologuing. Birthed, and then he kills her. Because I, I, at first, that I thought you were referring to the Sean Young copy. Thing. And we need to no, get no, no, into no, okay. this. Yeah, that, that's later on. But yeah, but if anybody could clarify, one, but nothing jumped out at you, or Jeremy, did you have a thought what that meant? I didn't take it metaphorically, but I just knew he took it as well. You're not good enough because we found one that can reproduce, mm-hmm. and so just. I, I don't know. So basically, we of, don't need you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So barbarian scene. Right. Now, I guess we should we could jump ahead here. Let's just get to the point where Kay is figuring all these things out. He has this vision or this memory that he doesn't know if it's an implant or not of being chased as a kid and he having this little wooden carved horse that has a date on the bottom that matches the date on the bottom of the tree at Bautista's property. And he that's why he thinks it's him. And he goes to this woman who is a doctor, I guess, who creates the implants that go into replicants. Right. So they've gotten to the point to where they they quit taking direct memories. They made it illegal to take memories from someone and put it into a replicant. So they decided to kind of twist it. And this this gal, she has become the greatest memory manufacturer manufacturer that Wallace has tried to buy out multiple occasions over time. And she's she's not that old. She's like mid-20s maybe. But she's been isolated doing this since she was around eight because her parents went quote-unquote off-world but she fell sick. So she's kept behind this glass because she says she has a compromised immune system. That's where she's been, right? All her life. did, Did she remind anybody of a young Ali Sheedy for Breakfast Club when you saw her? I was just like, what? Did they de-age uh, Ali Sheedy? I don't know. I, did, I didn't think of that, but <laughs> I, did, no. I can see it now that you mention it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, she was a very touching character and you're just like, okay, so she verifies for Kay that the memory he had was not an implant. That's the word she says. Oh, it's it's real. It's real, yeah. It's real. And we find out later something important about and, that. But and he <laughs> freaks out because he believes yeah. that he is real and that actually happened to him. Right. And so he, we go on with the plot. So and that memory, that, that's one of the things that's fuzzy. That memory did turn out to be an implant. That was right. her memory. She created yeah. it and put yes. it into him and then lied to him and said that it was real when it was. No, no, yeah. no. Okay. So, okay. See, so she, she, that's the issue I have with the film. We, Go ahead. <laughs> we see this scene play out a couple times, and she mentions to him that all the best memories have a touch or a part of their creator in them. And thus, as we're going along, we're suspecting that it's Kay that's this little kid. Mm-hmm. And it's not until later on that we find out that when they were falsifying the records, there was a boy and a girl. They said the girl died, and they wrapped the, the baby in blue and put it through the orphanage system as a boy. Boy, but it was actually the baby girl. So they covered did all the Did anybody get upset by the so Dark that, Knight so Rises? Girl. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking of that. I was, was like, like Al Ghul for Bane? Yeah, oh, I thought I of that exact thing when all this was going down. <laughs> yeah. So, so that girl behind the glass, she's the one who got wrapped in blue and put through the system. Yes. Okay. She's yeah. the one that was beaten up by all the orphan boys with that androgynous haircut. Mm-hmm. And she hid. I never escaped. <laughs> she, she hid the toy, which is why he was able to find the toy there. Right. So that, that's so, one of the issues I have is that I'm not one of those people who believes that everything should be spoon fed to the audience. But at the other end of the spectrum, I don't think I should need a freaking Rosetta Stone <laughs> to figure everything out. Well, and we, I feel like this film kind of did that here and there. If we toned Hans Zimmer down a bit, 
<laughs> Your ears wouldn't have been ringing during important dialogue. But no, but so so from that point, then, you know, he gets all these clues and steps and he makes his way to Las Vegas to the scene that Colton was speaking about. Just visually, this land of these giant naked women statues <laughs> just in the desert, just like in all these different poses that Ryan Gosling is passing through this dust storm. Man, which society is really goes downhill in the future. Can I yeah. just say what a time to portray Las Vegas yeah. as a dystopia? That kind of hit a nerve well, with me. I know it couldn't be helped. That, right. Obviously, yeah. they didn't do that on purpose. But they didn't even name it Las Vegas. Like it right. was, it was ambiguous. But they did show a map that put it somewhere in the vicinity. Yeah. Yeah, that was very quick. So I wasn't sure at first where he was going because they show the map and then they cut. That was like, I mean, wait, wait, wait. They were talking about a, a toxic or a nuclear waste or nuclear radiation that had happened around, and so I was like, well, either Area Fifty One or Las Vegas. And yeah. small side thing, I'm glad the happy ending was deleted from the original film because that lush, beautiful <laughs> landscape <laughs> did right. not fit with what had happened to the future. Right, 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 right. <laughs> well, so, so let's talk about this. How did you guys feel about the reintroduction of Deckard, of Harrison Ford's character into this universe and his uh, building of somewhat of a relationship with Ryan Gosling? I was a little miffed that Harrison Ford got top billing next to Ryan Gosling, and yet this nearly three-hour film... He literally shows up with barely under an hour left. Um, yeah, that last 45 minutes yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I just, that irked me just a little bit, but I do have to say, I'm glad they at least built on the character a little bit more, because my mm-hmm. problem in the previous film was, I remember walking away from the film and thinking, the only thing I know about Deckard is, he drinks a lot. He's a dang good Blade Runner. He, 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 <laughs> like, he likes to kill robots, and he likes to get it on with those robots without their consent. <laughs> <laughs> or forcing them to consent, you know, right. whatever that is. Yeah, um, to be clear, he doesn't yeah. like it. He says he gets the shakes. And that's about all I knew about him. Oh, he doesn't like yeah. killing replicants. Okay, that was in, all in I knew film, about In this film, we find out, uh, we get a really good sense that he experienced at least a modicum of the joy of fatherhood. Changed him, and it turned him from being this offensive murder machine to being a protector of sorts. And right. instead of being on the offensive, he's on the defensive and hiding in the shadows. And because he was a cop, he was able to show the this select group of other replicants that he'd come to know by that time mm-hmm. how to game the system, cover their tracks, and make sure that this kid survived because yeah. it was the future. Even though the mother died at childbirth, or so we're led to believe, and he you think there's a chance up, she's still alive? No, that was pretty much her body. I, I don't know how just, exactly she died, but any chance they switched the body out, you know, or the remains, whatever. But then he has to go on the run because if anybody ever came after him, he didn't want them also finding the child. Right. So he he doesn't know where the child is. And after they get attacked, basically, Wallace sends his his uh, replicant sidekick yeah. bodyguard, whatever she is, which who, who was pretty Love. cool. I liked yeah. her. Her name was Love. Okay, I never caught that at all. Yes, I, I, was I, like, I caught that, and I'm like, yeah. wow, ironic detachment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and, but she's she's interesting, you know, just in her she seems to want like all the attention that Wallace is putting on this child and how special it is. I don't know if you guys, but Some it seemed to be like she so wants to feel like, like she's special. There was no build. She's just like oh. dead. Yeah. 
dead. Yeah. Just like that. Sorry, I'm doing yeah. gestures to show you just how much she goes from <laughs> subtlety to murder just like that. Yeah, kills Robin Wright's character. Another WB performance you, where you... she's back as the hard-nosed female character. Right. She's the go-to, I guess. I can't wait Robin... for her to be president of the United States next season on House of Cards. That's going to be awesome. Did you see how it ended of the season? So... She goes, my turn. Right. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. But then, so so now, now Decker does get captured by Wallace, and then we—that's where you know Kay gets the reveal that he's not the child, and they basically say you have to go find Decker and kill him because if they find him or if they get him to talk, he doesn't know where the child is, but he knows where I am. This leader of the rebels who right. says she was there when the child was born and knows who and where the child is. So they'll lead him back to me. And then our replicant rebellion, which I was very happy they did not focus on at all, except for a brief scene uh, that this wasn't a, a replicants rebel movie. Uh, that Your standard like, summer blockbuster would have done that. Exactly. This film was shying away from that, which is a move I respect. Yeah, absolutely. And so so that now Kay has that decision, right? And that's where we get back to everything we were talking about, where his whole world's falling apart. OK, I'm not this unicorn, right? I'm not special now. And then in that fight and then the attack, that's where Joy, his AI holographic lover, gets killed. And then so now he has nothing. And now it's up to him. What am I going to do? Well, basically, he's also got nothing to lose at this point either. So, I mean, he, he so you're up, unsure. Yeah. What he's going to do. Yeah. He ends up playing his role and making making it interesting there at the end. Prevents them from actually getting back into L.A., running into the giant seawall that they have put up, and we get a swimming battle scene? <laughs> well, it was a pretty good fight scene. I was like, Does that that, that uh, stunt woman had some pretty awesome kicks and she punches did. she was doing. That was impressive. And and all the whole time, they keep, they keep teasing us, is Deckard a replicant? Is he... Because they keep flashing back, showing his handcuffs. Is he going to break them? Is he just teasing? Like, the whole time, they kept teasing that. Yeah. But he doesn't. And, yeah, he does. And ultimately, the, the circumstance also takes away the choice, I feel, from Kay, which is, you know, he basically has to fight love and kill her. And when he does that, it means he doesn't have to kill Deckard, because now they'll just assume he drowned in, right. in, in the, the flying car or whatever that was on. So, so really, he didn't have to make the choice ultimately but he makes his decision to take uh, Deckard to go meet his daughter and uh, I I really was hoping they would not make the last shot of the film Deckard doing uh, you know saying hello to his it's just like this isn't about Harrison Ford it's Kay's movie this is Ryan Gosling's movie and I, I wanted them to go out on him laying on the steps mortally wounded as the snow falls down on him again you know but accepting whatever he's accepting. getting Harrison Ford to his daughter that was Kay's mission so uh... It just rings, to show that it, it rings happened. a little true. Yeah. Maybe they should have cut back to Ryan Gosling for the final before the fade out. I don't know. Would have been more satisfying Honestly, for me. I forgot which order that is. So you're, you're telling me the absolute final shot was hands on the glass. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. This film is two hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> In my mind, there are plenty of scenes that are basically playing a shell game on me. I'm not going to lie. Cause it's just, yeah. 
It's a well, film. There's one this we, isn't a we, film you watch. It's a film you absorb. Yes. And we jumped over a very pivotal, uh, pivotal maybe not, a very shocking scene, I guess we would say, which involved Sean Young's Rachel returning. Yes. And this really, really confused me because to my knowledge, Sean Young was not in this film because for <laughs> years she had been trash talking the idea of a sequel, like for the last four or five years as they were in pre-production. And so at one of the interviews I read, she was saying like, yeah, well, I talked to the you know, the directors and all this stuff, and they're not even planning to bring back the original cast. And I wouldn't want to be in it anyway. And then I see in the credits, <sighs> she's credited as Rachel. And I'm she like, well, cooperated yeah. with whatever little details they needed, but the stand-in was somebody else. Yes. The face was digitized. And I have to tell you, finally, somebody besides Disney got it right. Well, they, they no doubt rented that Maybe. capacity or rented out Disney to uh, do but, it. But I got to tell you, that's... Oh, it was spot on. Yeah, I I was... It didn't even reach the uncanny valley. It was so good. You know what I mean? I, well, I, was, I wasn't creeped out. But the thing is... In the is, conventional sense. The thing is, they never showed her mouth when she was speaking, which is how they escaped the uncanny valley. Oh, I didn't notice Every that. Time I was looking she at her had, eyes the whole yeah, time. Yeah, no, no, no. Every time she had a speaking part, they went to Deckard's view. Or you were looking at Deckard. So you only saw back half of her head... Never had to see her mouth move. Nice Never sleight of had, hand. Yeah, it was all sleight of hand. I was I was applauding that in my mind. When it comes to the Uncanny Valley, it's all about the eyes, and the eyes didn't creep me out. That's that's what won me over. But but yeah, at the I same time, to, yeah. you think back to the first, like that strikes you as oh, she's an android. So you're already thinking she's not real. Yeah, I mean, because she had like porcelain skin, you know, she was just like too perfect yeah. in the original, right? So so it was kind of easier to duplicate that. But the other part for me was when they would play the audio clips of the Voight-Kampf test and stuff like that from the first film, it wasn't her voice from the first film. And I was like, why are they not using her original voice? They used clips of her from the original movie, but not her voice. And so then when I found out it was Sean Young, I was like, did they use your voice? But I just read an interview with the director. He said, no, we also got a sound-alike actress ah, to just replicate oh, her voice. But it's so weird. Like, you had Sean Young. You couldn't just use her voice? Her, like, it's really odd Let's situation. just say the more I, I read about her, the less impressed I am with her personally. <laughs> uh, yes. you, you guys know about her Batman situation i won't go on oh. tangent i just i feel this is very relevant it's she amazing was supposed yeah. to be vicky vale in the original 1989 tim burton batman literally as pre-production was wrapping up days before principal photography was to start yeah she gets tossed off her horse she's a mess she can't get back into the movie last minute they have kim basinger take her place ah. and in her interviews she talked about it like oh man if only that hadn't happened then that film would have been so good for me and it would have catapulted me to other to bigger better roles <laughs> Seriously, well, it's on YouTube. This is only a two-minute oh, yeah. clip. And I'm just like, wow, you don't even view these as good art. You just want to your name in the limelight, and that's it. I, that's that's awful. Some people are like so that. When I, that's the first time I heard that she actually trashed Blade Runner just now. Well, I'm no, not surprised, the sequel, I gotta say. Though the original, she says that's the best thing I was ever involved oh, okay. in. Uh, and I think that's why she was so, sort of hiding behind that, saying, I don't want them to tarnish what I did before and all this other stuff. So, right, they just killed I you thought, off. I mean, nothing Right, and that's what I expected. Bad. I was like, they killed her off. Why? And then I was like, they brought her back? I, like, I wasn't expecting that. Because I was like, oh, they found a great way to write her out and not need her. 
oh wait here she is i was yeah. like it was really well, strange but other than blade runner i the only things i can think of that she did that i ever really liked was you know ace ventura and she was on this good high school show called boston public huh. she was pretty good on that show other than that though uh karma caught up with her for having yeah. a snotty attitude in my opinion okay so the other thing and in the sit down between wallace and decker do you guys remember any specific dialogue in that because i spent half of it laughing because <laughs> what's he saying well because wallace is essentially saying did you choose her or were you programmed to meet and so he's oh. insinuating that he was also a replicant and that he and rachel were made for each other using all these biblical references like oh and rachel and all of these things and then he's like or maybe not and so it's like <laughs> i'm not gonna wait. lie his eccentricity was reminding me of eddie redmayne and jupiter ascending <laughs> i know it's a blasphemous thing to say but i felt it a little just a smidge well not on this podcast that is one of adam's favorites <laughs> eddie redmayne oh adam i'm i'm, I'm sorry i <laughs> i won't say the movie no, but the character the film, just the characterization the yeah Yes. But anyway, so all they did was they teased that answer and then retracted. They were like, or maybe not. (laughs) And so I, I, I spent that part laughing. Like, I wish I would have remembered the exact dialogue. But he teases along and then backs off. And yeah, so well, it leaves that it mystery, leaves it ambiguous, or as ambiguous as the first one did, I guess. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. So, Adam, let's wrap this up. Where where do you stand on Blade Runner 2049? Well, yeah, like I said, I mean, I really believe this is an improvement over the original. It's a film, a big-time investment, as we said. But it's a film that I would go back to and really enjoy watching, because I liked the characters, all the casting, I thought was really well done i enjoyed the writing which they got the original one of the original screenwriters to come back so it really does have that continuity with the first film it just takes it to the next level uh in terms of just cinematically giving you a story that's fulfilling and interesting all the way through so for me it's definitely a nine out of ten like it's one of those movies where i would say you know financially they're saying it's not doing very well and my theater was not full so i can attest to that on my side of the world but, Mine was oh, really? pretty full. Yeah. Uh, okay. Every day I go back to visit the theater because I got Movie Pass. I'm a movie junkie. I, people around me are talking about how they're going back to see Blade Runner or seeing it for the first time. That's the number one talked about film at my theater every day. It's, well, that, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. I'm hoping that the good word will mm-hmm. catch up to it for its second weekend because artistically it hits. I mean, they do a, an amazing job. So I believe that financially it needs to. Will it? We'll see. But I think it's one of those films that will stand up and it feels like it's been a very long time since we've had anything that felt like it was a quality film that wasn't just a blockbuster something that you could talk about and have philosophical discussions about and whatever else many college term papers going to be based on this film at some point much like the original and and the thing is I like this this movie came in on a hundred and fifty million dollar budget. Opening weekend is still thirty-five. It wasn't a blockbuster. But then again, you can't really do that in October very often, so Right. Yeah. Except for Ragnarok's gonna put up a hundred, hundred and that's November. That, in that's, November. That's taking advantage of the holiday season a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, but it the got thing lucky is, with September big time. <laughs> right. It it doesn't matter either way. Yeah. It's still 
you were pander you were seeking a specific audience. But the thing is, this movie is going to have some legs because anybody that was skeptical about oh they could never follow up the first, they did it. They mm-hmm. one upped it. Mm-hmm. And this movie has a lot of staying power both in the theaters and also once it hits home video. Like this is going to become another cult classic, much like the first. Much like some people don't exactly like it, but you had Tron that successfully in some circles came out with a sequel that upped the ante and it will have a cult classic kind of it'll always have its following so i'm in the same ballpark this has got to be a nine are you guys ready for me Uh Uh (laughs) uh-oh bring it on colton i've just i've i've really struggled with these films as i mentioned before i don't want to have something dumbed down for me but i don't want it to be so overwrought to the point that i like to have a rosetta stone to understand it all so that's always been a struggle i've had just from hearing about the films before i even saw them i I wondered if i was going to have these issues and, and i did it's just these are the sorts of films that i don't recommend actively that you pay top dollar to go see in a theater. Uh, you should try and get a really big TV screen and rent it when you get the chance so you have the chance to pause and rewind as necessary. I'm afraid I'm going to have to go with 6.5 out of 10 for me because I really... Uh, I, I have a real love-hate relationship with these types of films. Where so, like, The Illusionist. I can only be teased so much. I like to be teased, but not this much. Granted, this was very long. It was two hours and 45 minutes, so... But I don't think there was anything you could have taken out that would... Yeah. Like, like I think you needed that running time to really get invested in that universe and in the story they were telling. Uh... I I could have found I could have found probably 15 20 minutes worth. I've heard mm. whispers that there are other like not official cuts but there was enough material on the cutting room floor this film could have easily been over 4 hours. Well, I mean, just look just at whispers I heard, or any of the, the oh, Lord yeah. of the Rings, and they're nine. But, can, hour but I do want to say this for certain: cuts. I am glad these films exist because they generated interest in the author and the source material, Philip K. Dick. Who just give me just a second, because this is super important. Yeah. Okay? Do, so, do androids of dream of electric sheep? Yeah, but yeah, the other work he's done. Hollywood was even though Blade Runner, the first film, was not financially successful, at least domestically, got Hollywood interested in the source. Screamers. Material. Screamers is one of... Uh, that's a little bit underrated in my Minority book. Report? I, I, yeah. I, I, let me get to these. Okay, 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 okay. Well, get <laughs> to it. Total Recall, okay? Yeah. You, you might think of it as just an Arnold Schwarzenegger flick, but it's very cerebral, and it's because of Philip K. Philip K. Dick's writings and the relationship we have with technology. Long before social media, he knew we were going to have deep psychological issues with technology <laughs> and just... <laughs> Total Recall, this Screamers, Minority Report, to a lesser extent, Imposter, Paycheck, Scanner Darkly, but also uh, lately on Amazon Prime, I've been checking out Man in a High Castle, more of a time travel thing ah. in relationship with technology. Alternate reality, I should say. The Adjustment Bureau was a good one, yes. at least I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, Disney's currently making a film. Well, I'm sorry, that's a tangent. The film's on the shelf. King of the Elves, I don't know if you heard about that. Mm. No. Uh, yeah, Disney put it on the shelf because they can't figure out a way to make the story click. It happens. Fro- Frozen? <laughs> Yeah. That's technically been in the works since 1937. They couldn't get the story to work. Finally, they inserted Anna and they made it work. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, because of his work leading to this movie, and even though the movie wasn't successful, tons of people were influenced by it, and it made Hollywood start taking a deeper look at some of the stuff. And now we have all these other great movies because of Blade Runner. So I can't hate on it, even though I'm frustrated with it. I'm glad it happened. And I'm glad this sequel came out also because... It really does send a sign to people saying you can make a sequel that's competitive with the original. It's not a retread. It's not some pale money-grubbing reboot. You can actually do something meaningful. So I recommend right. it on that level. I just I just can't bring myself to say, oh yeah, go pay top dollar 
and go see mm-hmm. it on the biggest screen you can <laughs> with 3D glasses. And that, that, that's the weird thing they did. There's no IMAX 3D, but there's regular 3D for this film. I don't know why they did that. There you go. Well, it's they probably didn't want to pay for conversion on it. But they paid for one type of conversion, but not the other. Typically, they, they go all out and do both if they're going to do it at all. Right. I don't know. Yeah, 6.5. I'm sorry to let you guys down, but I oh, just don't boy. <laughs> Controversial. Yes. All right. But I mean, yeah, here we go. I mean, I think we, we, we've got it. Uh, you know, obviously we're talking about this film again, not a blockbuster, but we're going to be hitting you hard and heavy towards the end of the year. Now, I'm sure we're going to all be coming back together. We'll talk to you about Thor Ragnarok, talk to you about Justice League, talk to you about The Last Jedi recently dropped. Trailer was pretty uh, Everybody's exciting. dropping trailers right now, and it's getting yeah. I feel bad for Justice League. Every time they have a halfway decent trailer out there, Disney drops something that's a little better. <laughs> for the Comic-Con Justice League trailer, it immediately got usurped by Thor Ragnarok's trailer. Immediately, yeah, well, within hours. Yeah. Justice League had a new trailer this weekend. Star Wars comes out and blows that one. And Ragnarok keeps throwing out trailers. So (laughs) the little TV spots and and the little snippets. There was there was the actual start of the Thor and Hulk fight was put out. I saw that. It was hilarious. So Thor is. I'm sorry. Um, Hulk is a showboat, man. Lots of fun movies coming at you at the end of this year. So stay tuned. Enjoy the rest of our normal sequel quests. And come on back for these sequel chats. And until the next movie... The Seacrest out? (laughs) (laughs) We hope you enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at SequelQuestPod.com now. Now.